Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to start there. I'm going to spend the next several weeks in 1 Peter, and uh, we're going to talk about finishing strong. So, yeah, finishing strong. I sure don't want to give up now at the end of the race. That would be a shame, wouldn't it? To come so close and then to give up. You know, um, I'll just share a quick testimony. You know, when I, I, many of you know I grew up going to church. My, my mom and dad uh, loved the Lord, and so... I was, I was one of those kids, that's all I ever knew. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Thursday morning women's missionary prayer fellowship with my mom. I mean, it was just, that's the way it was, and, and I loved that. And I joke that every New Year's Eve I got saved as a kid growing up because every New Year's Eve my church would do these watch night services. Ever, anybody know what a watch night service is? Yeah, watch night service. That's what you do on New Year's Eve. It's, what that is, is it's like the Christian version of a New Year's Eve party. So, we, so, you know, the rest of the world is getting drunk and we eat. That's what we do at the watch night service. So you have, it starts with a potluck is what it does. And you just feast on the potluck. And as a kid, you know, apparently the message I got was that drinking's a sin but sponge eating miss, or but but binge eating Mrs. Edelblut sponge cake, that's okay. You can just eat as much as you want. It's New Year's Eve, and I'm just a kid, and we're having a good time, and that was fine. And then around 10, 10:30 at night, we would go into the sanctuary and we would watch a movie. And um, this dates me, but I remember the actual projectors. You have to wheel it in on the cart because it weighed 500 pounds, and you got the one reel here and the one reel here, and, and it made that clicking sound when you're watching it. And if you sat too close to it, it interfered with how you could, you know, you couldn't hear it too well. So nobody wanted to sit next to the projector because it was too loud. Remember those? Anybody remember that? Or am I okay? I've got a few that remember it. So we're watching on New Year's Eve. We would watch these uh, end times movies about the second coming of Christ and uh, a distant thunder, um, a thief in the night. There were some, and they were super cheesy Christian films. I mean, they were cheesy, cheesy, but, but they're all about the end times and Christ is coming back. And and then after the movie was over, the pastor would come up and, and he would give the gospel because, you know, Jesus is coming back and you don't want to be left behind. And you better get saved by midnight because Jesus is coming back and you don't want to get left behind. And so I, I was a kid. I wasn't going to get left behind. Man, I'm getting saved. So every New Year's Eve, I got saved. And I, you know, whether you needed it or not, that's what I, that's what I did. I got to admit, though, my whole life I have known about the second coming of Christ, and I believed it. I really have never questioned that Jesus is coming back. Just never thought it would happen in my lifetime. But 
something has shifted. I sense in my spirit more than ever before that the second coming could happen in my lifetime. That I actually might get to hear the trumpet sound. And I know that based on a really loose understanding of Scripture. I don't really know fully. I'm not a big end times Scripture guy, so I don't fully understand all of that. But I know that when I go to pray, when I go to pray, the last several months, I sense. You know, one of the first things you do when you pray is you really want to get the presence of the Lord when you pray. That's the first step. Because... Uh, because when you, when you come in to pray, the Bible tells us that Jesus is always interceding for us. And so when, when you and I are stepping into prayer, you're literally stepping into a conversation that's already happening between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And of course, when you do that, you don't want to just barge into a conversation. You always want to get a feel for what's being talked about so that you can join the conversation. And so when I go to pray... Uh, I, I like to sit quiet. I like to get a sense. What's, what is on the heart of God today? And I find that incredibly meaningful to be able to sense what's on God's heart and then agree with him in prayer and pray about that. And so lately when I pray, I sense the excitement of Jesus about his return. I do. I sense it. I, I, I see that Jesus has been waiting, like his return is the culmination of all of history. It's literally, do you understand, like he has been working on his return since before he ever created. So we can't even imagine before the universe existed, but there was a point where it didn't exist, and then God spoke it into existence prior to that. Jesus has been, this has been something he's been anticipating since before that time. And so the closer we get to his return, the more excited he becomes. And I, I confess that I haven't always been as excited about it as Jesus has been. And I've been, ha I've been having to, I confess that to the Lord in prayer. I'm like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I get kind of distracted. I admit, kind of sidetracked. I'm... I'm not as, and I would think I should be because after all, the Bible says that you and I are the bride of Christ and he's the husband. And so there's like a wedding feast that's going to happen when we get to heaven. Like there's, we, we get to reign with him for all of eternity. We, we have a relationship with Jesus that angels don't have. You understand it's, we've been made in his image. Like it's, I mean, Jesus is looking to co-reign with you and me for all of eternity. I mean, it's breathtaking. And so, the, like, why wouldn't we be excited about that? But I, I admit I'm, I'm not always as pumped up about it. And I sense the eagerness of Jesus. And, oh, I say, okay, Lord, your excitement makes me excited. I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But can I tell you that's changed now, the way that I minister and the way that I approach my own walk with him and the way that I approach ministry. Um, I don't care about the stuff that I used to care about. I don't care about the programs as much. 
I don't care necessarily about crowd size anymore. I really don't care about any of that stuff. The details. What, what I care about more than anything is making sure that you pass the test. Because there's a final exam coming. And I want you to be ready for it. I want you to go with me. See, that's what I want. And uh, it grieves me as a pastor to see people that I love get sucked away. As we've seen in the last few months. It grieves me. Not sucked away from here. That doesn't mean it. This doesn't. But I mean, just lost from Christ. Lost the mooring. Lost the foundation. Lost the connection with Christ. It's like, you know, the devil is constantly working to drive wedges. You know, he's constantly working to drive a wedge between us and the Lord. And one of his favorite wedges is offense. And people are more offended these days than ever before. It's no wonder that as a nation we're more divided than ever before and as a church we're more divided than ever before and why so many people feel like God's more distant than ever before because you can't live in a constant state of offense and expect to enjoy the presence of God. It's just not going to happen. He, he. And so, and so the, the, the desire that I have, the hunger that I have, I guess, is for us to get ready. And to be rooted, to be grounded, to be get, get firm down in there so that as the winds blow and as it gets harder, and it's about to get harder, friend, it is, it's about to get more difficult. If I read my Bible correctly, one thing you can tell is the closer we get to the end, the more difficult it becomes. And so it's about to get harder. And so the, how do I stay strong? How do I finish strong? That's the question. So that's what's drawn me to 1 Peter. When I look in the Bible uh, these days, I'm always looking for, okay, God, how can we be encouraged? How can we keep this, how can we stay strong? And, and the letter to 1 Peter attracts my attention um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's, uh, he tells us right off the bat in verse 1, um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered he says, throughout these provinces. So 1 Peter is what we call a Catholic epistle. And, uh, you know, the word Catholic means universal. So there's a, there's a difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Holy Catholic Church. Did, did you know that? That the, the Roman Catholic Church, that's a religion based in Rome, led by the Pope. And then there's the Holy Catholic Church. That's a family headquartered in heaven, led by Jesus Christ himself. And if you've been bought by Jesus Christ, if you're forgiven by Jesus Christ, as we've just celebrated in communion, you, my friend, are a saint. You are a member of the Holy Catholic Church. And so the letter of 1 Peter is a Catholic epistle, meaning it's written to any Christian, God's elect, any follower of Christ, scattered wherever you are, right down to 2020, here we are in Manchester, Connecticut, it's written to you and to me. So that's the first thing, it's that. So that kind of attracts my attention, it's like, okay, so this, so this can really apply directly to us. It's, we're not talking about some church 2,000 years ago, we're talking about right now. Okay, perfect. And the second reason why it attracts my attention is because the Apostle Peter 
he wrote this letter, and his concern was that these people would finish strong. His concern was that these people would not get sidetracked by stuff that happens. You know that these early Christians, that every one of them thought that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? You know that? That they, that they literally did. They, I mean, Peter saw Jesus ascended into heaven, and, and from that very moment, Peter literally lived his life, the rest of his life, thinking, tomorrow, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I'm, I got to get ready. That, that, that drove, that motivated everything that he did. It's incredibly motivating when you realize that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I find that as well in my own heart. It's kind of, you know, you get lazy. We, we got comfortable. We got comfy. You think you just, but when you think it's tomorrow, it puts a sense of urgency in your step. And that's the way Peter was. And he, he saw these people and they were at risk for not finishing strong. They were at risk for giving up. And the reason why is you, you come into 1 Peter chapter 1 and you go to verse 6. And he says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter uses five different Greek words in this one little letter to talk about trials, troubles, grief. Think, think about uh, in English, how many synonyms do we have for the word trouble? Think about, let's see, trouble, throw one out. Difficulty, hardship, chaos, chaos. what? Struggles. Okay, now now use euphemisms. Storms, hurdles, obstacles. <laughs> See what I mean? You can, you can go all day. I wonder why we can find so many words to talk about tough times. Perhaps there's a lot of tough times. Maybe. Maybe tough times aren't anything new. Ah, uh, that's right. And so here's Peter. He's writing this letter to people in tough times. They, they weren't facing persecution as yet. They were about to, though. We, we believe that Peter wrote this letter sometime around 60, 61, 62 A.D. And we know that, that emperor, you know, the Roman Empire uh, persecution had not quite gone empire-wide until Nero which was the end of the 60s. As a matter of fact, it was under Nero that both Peter and the Apostle Paul were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter was hung upside down on a cross because he insisted that he did not want to die the same way that Jesus died. And so they said, all right, we'll put you upside down. And that's how Peter died. So that hadn't hit yet. So this is early 60s AD. And this is just the people, they're just going through just your general run-of-the-mill, people don't understand your faith, tough times. And Peter's like, I don't want you to give up. I want you to see what you've gotten. And there's four themes in here that come out, and, and we're just going to look at the first theme today. And that first theme is the goodness of God in your life. The privilege that is yours in Christ. You have to see that what you have is special. And I, I wish I had a better word for special. Any synonyms for special? 
Come on, give me a title for this sermon. What is it? What's the synonym for special? Super. I don't know. Unique. Wonderful. Magnificent. I mean, I struggled with words this week. How magnificent this gift is that you have in Christ Jesus. Peter doesn't waste any time. Verse 1. And Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance, he says. Stop right there. Look in verse 2. There's the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one sentence. Isn't that amazing? And notice that each one plays a different role. Each person of the Trinity plays a different role in your life to bring you to the place where you are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? By the foreknowledge of the Father. In other words, on the day that you gave your heart to Jesus, that you bowed your knee and you accepted Christ as your Savior, you can almost hear the Father in heaven going, I knew it. I knew you'd be mine. I've had my eye on you since before the beginning of the world. That's mind-blowing when I think about that. That God has loved you since before time began, which means God loved you before there was a you to love. Because you didn't start existing until you were conceived. You, you didn't pre-exist. So you've only been alive from the moment of conception to now. And so before there was a you to love, God loved you. God knew you were coming. Through the foreknowledge of the Father. And then the Spirit goes to work in that. And it says the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To sanctify means to set apart. So it's like... The Father knew that you were going to be His, and the Spirit goes, got my eye on you. And He's, and he's got you set apart, and He's doing stuff. To, he sets you apart in order to set you up. I loved it. You know, yesterday, TJ sharing his testimony, which was great, brother. And, but one of the cool parts of his testimony was, you know, you look back, and you can see the hand of God. You see the setups, and you don't, and you don't see it in the moment. But then, but then you come to Christ, and then he starts, to open, you start, he starts to open your eyes, and you start to see it, and you look back, and you say, wow. So that conversation there that I had with that guy, that was actually God at work. And then that time that happened, that was actually God at work. Can you see that in your own life? Isn't it cool? That's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Peter says. The Spirit sets you apart in order to set you up. And then the third part is you become obedient to Christ. Obedience. You know, faith is obedience. The fact that you believe in Jesus as your Savior is an act of obedience. That's why Peter says it that way. So you've been obedient to Christ, and then when you trust him as your Savior, you're obedient to trust him. He says you're sprinkled with his blood, which is Gross to you and me. 
But it's a reference to an ancient ritual, ancient worship. You know, these people, they would have animal sacrifices to atone for their sin. And the priest, as a part of that process, would take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, and splatter it on the worshipers. And it was a symbol of forgiveness, a symbol of cleansing from your sin. And so that's really all Peter's referencing there is you become obedient to Christ and you become forgiven. You become set free. Your sin is gone. You've got a whole new lease on life. And all of that, my friend, all of that has been in play since before the creation of the world. Do you understand, my friend, that your relationship with Jesus, it didn't originate with you and that, you're, that, that this that the God of the universe, the triune God of the universe has been at work since before time began to make you his. When you start to... I wish I had the words. I keep running. Oh, Father, would you please take our breath away at this truth? We've got to see, God, that what we have in you is... It hasn't been made up. What we have in you is, is beyond words. It's, it's magnificent. I don't know, God. Help us to see it, Lord. And so then, he, so then he goes, so he sets us up. And then as I read in verses 6 and 7, Peter's talking about how, you know, in this you rejoice, even though now you have all these trials and tough times and all of that. And I love verse 8. Though you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul's I love that. It tells me that, uh, it tells me that your, your joy is linked to your belief, that the greater your belief, the greater your joy, and the lesser your belief, the lesser your joy. You believe in him. You don't even see him, but you believe in him, and, and as a result, you're filled with an glorious and inexpressible joy. The quality of your, what you believe in is linked to the level of joy that you experience. And, and then he goes, verse 10. Now, now here's, this will blow your mind. Ready? History. History is all about you. That's what this says. Here we go, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, so this salvation that you and I have, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. <laughs> it, you realize we live in the glories that will follow. Okay. It was revealed to them now, do you get this picture of these Old Testament guys? They're digging in, and they're trying to figure out what all's happening, and they don't know. They don't know. All they know is something's happening, and God's up to something, but I don't know what it is. And then verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. 
when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. It was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were not serving themselves, but who? You. You. Me. So Abraham, Isaac, Moses, name Old Testament characters, prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezra, you know, we, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were actually serving you and me. That all of that fed into where you and I are now. It's, it's kind of like if, if we're going to use the race analogy, it's, a, uh, it's one of those relay races where it's a team relay. And the baton gets handed off. And so they ran, they ran their leg, they handed it off. They ran their leg, they handed it off. And now you and I have the baton in the last leg of the race. It's been handed off to us. And they are cheering and they are like, come on, you got to finish, finish, finish. And everything that they did fed into you and I right now, it says, when they spoke of those things. And then I love this last statement. I don't even... I guess I wonder what Peter was thinking when he wrote it down, but he's like, even angels long to look into these things. The thing that you have in Christ is so awesome that it makes angels shake their heads. They're, you're blowing angel minds. Really, you're blowing angel minds. They just don't, they don't, they don't fully understand what it is that God's doing with you and me. Do you recognize that you have something with Christ that angels don't have? You've been made in the image of God. They're not in the image of God. You were created to co-reign with Christ. They will not co-reign with Christ. So you, you have an intimacy with Christ, with the second person of the Trinity that angels don't have. And you'll have that for all of eternity, and they won't. And, and angels, I think, sometimes are looking down at you and me, and we're like, really? <laughs> I think it kind of blows their minds. They're like, God, what are you doing? Them. <laughs> and, and here you and I are, bozos. <laughs> and he's, the angel, really, God? Yeah. Here we are. What God is doing in you and me and for you and me and through you and me is just, it blows their minds. And then book of verse 13, so you go, well, okay, now what? Therefore, therefore now, with all that in mind, therefore, friends, here's the application. Let's go. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Given all that, set your hope he says, as obedient children, do not conform any longer to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. See, you're, see, see, we're now focused on the end, we're going, we're going for the finish line. And he says, hey, let go of all that stuff because you don't need that anymore. Come on, run. See, now it's now's not the time to, to, to accumulate. <laughs> now's not the time to get distracted. 
Now's the time to stay focused more than ever at where we're going. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Have you noticed that the closer you get to Jesus, the more like a foreigner you feel on earth? That's the truth. The closer you draw to Jesus, the, the less you fit in here. It's just, you just don't fit. This, ain't, this is not home. So he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake, for us. Wow. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Mm. Wow, this gift that you and I have is breathtaking. And we come to chapter 2, verse 1. I'm skipping there because we already read the other stuff for communion. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Just get rid of that. You don't need that anymore. Slander of every kind. Boy, oh boy. I could say a lot about that one. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Friends, we need to grow up in our salvation. You need to grow up. You need to grow up. I need to grow up. It's time to start taking this seriously. Why? Well, the end is near. We need to finish strong. We need to grow up. Uh, I, I it's, I guess it's partly why I, I'm taking the approach that I'm taking as we do this this morning in First Peter. You need to know I've struggled so much with this sermon today. Oh, my goodness. I've got literally two full manuscripts sitting on my desk that I wrote this week for this message that neither one I liked, and about a stack of notes of stuff. I'm like, oh, I just didn't I don't know what to do with this thing. And I just kept hearing the Lord say, hey, do you believe my word is strong? Do you believe my word by itself? Like, you don't need to help me. You're right, Lord, I don't need to help you. Your word is plenty powerful. Let's just read your word. I heard an old preacher years ago say, the word of God is like a tiger. Just let it out of the cage. Let it out of the cage. Let it do its work. But we've got to grow up in our salvation. Now, Come to chapter 2, verse 9. Mm. Well, I can't skip it. I'm sorry. I know you're playing. That's great. It's great, Aaron. Verse 4. As you come to him, this is Jesus, the living stone, he was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, 
are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's, by the way, that, the word for that would be vindication. They rejected him. And then God says, I think I'll make him the cornerstone. How about that? Jesus experienced rejection at the hands of men. And then God says, I'm going to make you the centerpiece of history. And he's a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. You know, there, are, there will be those who get lost. There will be. I pray that it's none of us. But you, however, would you read this? Uh, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Everybody say God's special possession. I'm, you are, you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, can we change the pronoun there? He says, you are a chosen people. Can we say we? We. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession. The God of the universe has said, you are mine, and I am yours. And I have been working since before time began to make that happen. What you have in Christ Jesus is not an afterthought. It's not something that was thrown together last minute. It's something that the God of the universe has been working on since before time. He's been working on it, and it's glorious, and it's amazing. This is the privilege that is yours in Christ Jesus. Friends, uh, that's something that um, we can sink our teeth into and hang on to. Why would I want to give this up when I have so much? The truth is you are privileged. You are. Jesus gave it to you. He died to make it happen. You're his special possession. I love that phrase. You are God's special possession. Oh. Yeah. Let's bow our heads in prayer, huh? Before I pray, would you uh, 
just quietly pray and thank God for making you his special possession. Can you see that the eye of God is on your life? That God knew you would be his. That God's spirit has set you apart to set you up. That Jesus Christ has died to purchase you and make you right. That all of history points to what God's doing in you this very moment. Can you see that? Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.